You are listening to The AQ, a podcast that equips rising adults with tips, tricks, tools, and fundamentals needed to help own their story in the real world successfully. Build your AQ now to adult easy later. Here's your host, Peyton Thompson. Welcome everyone to another segment in our career prep series. For those of you who are just joining, we are conducting a comprehensive series on what it takes to prepare for a job from end to end. And today I'm so honored to be talking with Ellie Overholt, founder of Fourth, and she specializes in developing young talent and setting students up to advocate for their dream jobs. She's worked with various organizations in these efforts, including collegiate and business organizations like Shell, Chick-fil-A, Mississippi and Louisiana Association of Colleges and Employers, and Atlanta's Break Into Business Nonprofit, too. And beyond that, so much more with her students as well. So I won't keep you waiting any longer. Ellie, welcome to the show. Thank you, Peyton. Thank you so much for having me. It is an honor to be here. And yeah, just like what you said, I love working with young people um, and specifically as it pertains to their career, their professional journey and, and all of the above. Well, I know that I rattled off a little bit of background and you just gave some context, but I'd love if you could give the audience just a sound bite of how you got into this field from your end of the mic. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I'm a little bit of an unconventional career strategist, mostly because I don't come from the academia world. When you think about career coaches or even career counselors, a lot of times those folks sit in a collegiate setting, right? Maybe they got their undergrad and that, then they went and got their master's. And I'm really a student of the professional world, if that makes sense. So I started, I, I studied business administration at Georgia Tech, go Jackets. Um, and I actually uh, concentrated in supply chain. And so I thought that's what I wanted to do. I started my career in management consulting um, and realized pretty early on that that wasn't what I wanted to do long-term, mostly just because frankly, I wasn't very good at it. And so I realized, okay, how can I get enough experience in something to figure out what I want to do next. And what ended up happening was I got a unique opportunity to run our onboarding program um, at this consulting firm. And I fell in love with this idea of helping young people start off on the right foot in, in their work, right? So helping them write emails to clients, helping them figure out Excel, um, write internal emails to their manager, right? And kind of just this, this what we don't learn, right, in school, but specifically pertaining to the workplace. So I just became obsessed with the work and realized that that's really what I wanted to do, initially thinking I wanted to work for someone else and do that. And one thing led to another. Um, and I was living in a new city at the time. At the time, I was living in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, and I knew nobody. We were there for my husband's job. And, um, you know, I moved across the country from Atlanta for him and for his job. And because I didn't know anyone, he was gracious enough to say, you know what? this is really what you want to do. I don't even know what this could look like, but why don't you follow this inkling, right? Follow this intuition and just start teaching students what you've learned from being in the workplace and see if you can make a business out of it. And so that's how fourth was really birthed. However, I love that it was born that way because everything that I teach was from my experience in the workplace. It wasn't because, you know, a professor told it to me or I read it in a textbook, but I saw it firsthand and I heard 
feedback after people had interviewed. I had been in conference rooms as they were trying to select who the next consultant would be, et cetera. And I just became obsessed with this whole world of hiring and of young talent and junior talent. So that's, that's really what leads me to, to talking to you and, and now being considered an expert in the field. That's awesome. And thank you for sharing that detail. I think that it's really important what you had said about like, it wasn't something necessarily that you specialized in at first, but mm -hmm. it's funny how life tends to work itself out in the way that it does. But you found this like innate passion. And then from your experience found, you know, that you were really purpose driven and also very skilled in this area. And mm -hmm. now it's what you do. So as it pertains to our subject mm -hmm. today of applying and interviewing for jobs, sometimes you'll go in a direction and it's never, I would say the wrong step. Maybe mm -hmm. it's, you know, what you need first to lead you to the next thing that might be more of your dream job, but right. you're always going to learn from your experience. It's always, I would say like a lesson and a blessing. Like <laughs> we say that about dating too. It's a lesson and a blessing, like all in itself, but you making a directional, you know, pivot maybe from one job to the next, um, it could lead you to exactly where you're supposed to be and maybe the more, maybe an unconventional way. Exactly. And the other thing I want to mention to that is, yeah, I realized what I liked and what I maybe was good at, but also I, I don't want to, I don't want the listeners to miss out on the fact that it was actually partly because I was bad at my job and I realized that I maybe made a wrong mistake or a wrong choice. However, to your point, I wanted to help other people not make the wrong choice. And so my kind of maybe failure on the surface really led me to open my eyes and be like, you know what, how can I help other people not make the same, you know, in quotations, mistake that I made, even though, like, to your point, I don't necessarily think it was a mistake, but I learned so much from it and I wanted to help other people along the way, essentially. We all did a little bit more of that, you know, <laughs> with learning from mistakes or like you said, just changing directions and whatnot, right. what you did learn in your experience. I think the world would be a lot better place, but <laughs> um, with that, we'll jump in. So starting off with the topic of getting ready to apply for a job. So mm -hmm. kind of setting the scene, you've got your resume and your cover letter or your series of resumes um, mm -hmm. and your cover letter and LinkedIn in good shape. And now you're on this hunt for employment. So mm -hmm. I guess just foundationally to start off, what are some of the first steps you think are important to beginning the job search? It's such a good question. And I love that you tee it up a little bit for us because I do think it's important to take some time on the front end to look at your resume, have friends and family look at it if you can't um, afford or get in front of a career coach or a strategist like myself. That's totally fine. You don't, you don't need to do that as a first step. I'm the first person to say that. I think you know the skills that you bring to the table. And I think having some people that know you and love you and have seen the work that you have done for them to take a look at your resume is really helpful. So, so to your point, you've got your resume ready. What I want to caution against before I tell you what you maybe should do, I, I really, I, I'm seeing a trend and I totally get the trend because I think I was kind of on the cusp of that trend when I was looking for a job, but I'm seeing this trend of students and they're going immediately to an online platform and they are just, stalking every single page 
They're searching every keyword they can think of, and it is all consuming, right? They're going to the LinkedIn's of the world, Indeed's of the world, monster.com, any platform that they can possibly go to. And the reason why on the surface, these platforms are phenomenal because they're kind of giving you these opportunities at your fingertips. But the problem with them, in my personal opinion, is that if we believe that human beings hire human beings, which at fourth, we believe that. And so if we, if we believe that, then we're letting a robot or kind of this software get in the way of that. And yeah. so I don't think platforms are bad at all. I think they're wonderful. I just think that the better way to go about it is to maybe spark up a human connection of some kind prior to that initial uh, resume drop, if you will, within the platform. Because here's, I want to paint a really pretty but probably scary picture for some people. I want us to all think about going on a blind date. If you go on a hundred blind dates in a year and after every single blind date, you hear, no thanks, oh, no thanks, no second date, no thanks, no thanks, no thanks. By the end of that 100th date, you feel like scum of the earth. You feel like I am so unworthy. No one wants to date me. I'm giving up now. I will be single for the rest of my life. Thank you very much. <laughs> and that's basically what happens when we drop our resume 100 times on a platform that they have no way of really knowing us, right? Because resumes are just tough, right? They have no way of really knowing us. And some of these people aren't even checking the platform. They're posting it because they, they figure, oh, we'll see if we can reel some people in, but they're not even checking to see if anyone's actually applied. So just for your own mindset, I don't find that that's a good strategy because you'll just keep applying, keep applying, keep applying, and you won't hear back. And then you feel like you've done something wrong. So my, my advice would be, I want you to sit down and make a list of everyone that you know. Okay, we, we provide this strategy list in, in our program, but you could do this on a sheet of paper. You could do this on a Word document. I want you to write a list of everyone that you know. I want you to think family, extended family, professors, neighbors, best friends, your friends' parents, your parents' friends, et cetera. And I want you to try to make a list of what they do. And I'm gonna tell you right now, you're probably gonna only be able to complete maybe 50% of the list, maybe 25% of the list, because you're not even gonna know what those people do for work, which is totally normal and totally fine, but that would be step number one. Go figure out what those people do. And if you ask them or ask your mom, you know, what does Aunt Sally do or whatever, and fill it into your list. And if any of those roles sound interesting to you, or if you don't really know what it means or what, they actually do schedule some time to talk with them because there are people that you already know it shouldn't be scary you're just setting up a phone call or a coffee or something but i want you that's where you need to start from a research perspective even if they're not hiring um peyton and i talked briefly um before recording and, and we were just talking about the economy and the state and i've been doing this since covid so i i've been through a couple hiring freezes in, in my day. And I used to get that feedback of, oh, I can't talk to my aunt because she works at such and such company and they're on a hiring freeze. That's okay. Still talk to them, find out what they do for work, get, get the details of wherever their company is at. That's completely fine. And keep it on your list because guess what? When they open the doors, because they will, 
just like they did after COVID, they will open the doors. You want to be the first in line. And so that is my biggest piece of advice is make your strategy list and try to fill in what those people do that you already know and that they already know you. First, what you said about, you know, go look at Glassdoor and Indeed and LinkedIn as a tool, maybe for determining like, is there a demand for this job that I might be interested in? Or what are the qualifications or job responsibilities that they're kind of looking for? And that can help you in, you know, the more, I guess, structural pieces of maybe shaping your resume, your cover letters, et cetera. It also might give you some reviews on the company if that's actually mm -hmm. something that you're interested in. So I think in terms mm -hmm. of using that as a tool, great. But whenever push comes to shove for actually getting um, connections before you apply in the intervention of talking to a human being is the most critical thing that you can possibly do. Because that couple minutes that you set up with somebody might mm -hmm. make a huge difference. And you might realize like, wow, like that's you know, really where I want to serve my time. And that's really where I want to be. Or you may realize like, this is not my space. This is not my cup of tea. I, I don't want to be here. And mm -hmm. that can make such a difference and also save you so much time and energy as well. So it's I love so that. It's so true. It's so true. It's both. And it's, I love that sounds so interesting to me or wait, I thought that that was my dream, but I don't know if my skills really align to that, those everyday tasks that they have described, right? Because we don't know yeah. until we pull the curtain back. So yeah, I think you said that very well, Peyton. Just to kind of wrap those two things together, what you had mentioned about listing it out in a document. My brain like thinks in Excel sheets. I like drive my <laughs> friends crazy because yes. I like plan all of our trips on Excel sheets, <laughs> but you don't even have to know Excel. Make a couple columns that say like, these are companies I'm interested in, or to your point, this is my mm -hmm. network. And people think that they don't have a network, but like you said, it can literally be your personal relationships mm -hmm. and that is your network, you know, to start mm -hmm. off with. And that might lead to other people, but yeah. make that tracking sheet of the opportunities and then kind of go down the list mm -hmm. and through process of elimination, you will eventually get to a smaller subset of things that you want to pursue. Just another question on connecting with people. Um, yes. What are your thoughts on working with recruiting companies who are kind of that middleman, mm -hmm. third party? Curious to hear what your thoughts are on working with, with them as well. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's such a good question. And I think, honestly, it really also depends on the economic environment and landscape that we're dealing with. When it is more challenging to see open roles, I think staffing firms and rec recruit recruiting companies are great. They're great tools because they can have an insider's view into what's going on. They have they may know information that isn't being posted online, or um, or maybe even your aunt Sally doesn't know about. Right? I think that there's huge value there. The only thing I would just I guess not even caution caution is not the right word, but sprinkle in is I rarely see staffing firms finding really um, kind of long-term career solutions for junior talent. And when I say junior talent, I mean the first year out of college to like five years out of college. And I think that's because companies are not accustomed to paying recruiters for junior talent. It's just not in their 
DNA. It hasn't historically been done very much. Um, they're way more willing to pay for experienced talent or even executive talent as you think about the recruiting model. I am so pro recruiting model. My mom is a recruiter. Like I, I think that they do phenomenal work. I just caveat that with saying I haven't seen as much success from a junior talent perspective. And frankly, that's why I do what I do, because I was finding that recruiters were happy to connect with groups, maybe like myself, that had a pool of really talented students that were working, that were looking for jobs, but maybe not one-on-one -on -one because companies don't necessarily pay one-on-one -on -one for that junior talent recruitment, if that makes sense. It does. And I really appreciate that context because I think that's something, especially with this audience that we have here, mm -hmm, that essentially right. if they are, you know, putting their time and effort into things, we want to make sure we're steering them in the best direction possible and to kind of mm -hmm. cut the noise in this mm -hmm. process as well. So uh, just another question that I had missed on your network is what are the best ways to reach out to them? Oh, okay. This is so good. I'm so glad you asked this question. Um, we actually, I keep, I keep plugging my course, but really it's so good. So I'm, I'm sorry, I'm giving away a lot of nuggets for free, but we talk about this in our program because a lot of times I can tell you all day long, go reach out to this person, you know, and meet with them, but you may not know what that means. And I totally get it because when I was graduating college, it felt really scary. Even if I knew the person, it still felt scary and a little bit intimidating. And it's like, what am I asking for? What, what do I even say? Right. And so in our program, we really cover all of this in terms of here's how to conduct the conversation, right? And here are some good questions to ask and here how to do the follow-up and blah, blah, blah. However, here's a big nugget. So get your, get your pens and pencils out. <laughs> Seriously. We call it the perfect ask. And really all that means is make your ask, meaning what do you want from them? Do you want a phone call? Which is fine. That's great. Do you want to meet them for coffee? Awesome. Do you want to meet them on Zoom? Great. But the ask is, I just want to talk to you and find out more about what it is specifically that you do. Okay. And in the perfect ask, when you eat, you can email it, you can text it, you can LinkedIn message it. However is most, um, applicable to the contact that you're reaching out to, right? Like if it's your sister's best friend, it may make more sense to text them. But if it's your dad's coworker, maybe it's better to send them a message on LinkedIn, right? But when you reach out, tell them how you know them, of course, why you're interested in talking to them, flatter them. We all want to be flattered. We all want to feel that they really specifically want to talk to them, right, specifically, and then say, I would love to blank, whether that's phone call, video, or in person, and then give them some options. This is a big thing that people miss. They say, let me know when you're free. Well, you and I, Peyton, both know that once you start your work, you are busy and you don't know what you like. You can't, your brain can't even rationalize when you're available or, oh, is that, do I have that thing this week or next week? But if someone says A, B, or C, like Tuesday at three, Wednesday at five, Thursday at one, you're like, oh, um, C, like it's just easier. It's the same reason we all like to take multiple choice tests, honestly. So yes. give them some options. Your people feel that they're maybe being pushy if they, give options, but I'm telling you, it's so much easier. And if they can't do any of those times, they will give you another time. But um, that would be my big piece of advice there is be very clear what you quote unquote want from them. Meaning, is it a phone call? Is it a video call? 
or is it an in-person? Make your ask and give them some options to choose from. Yes. And I, I think there's even like a couple extra things to note with your times of availability, um, you know, making sure that you give them a couple different windows that are flexible for you because they might not be available and don't limit it to just like, oh, I'm available for 30 minutes on one day. Like give them right. some space within right. the calendar so that they can make it convenient for them. Mm -hmm. But also time zones. I think mm. that this is super important nowadays, especially if you're applying for jobs within different states or different parts of the country. Make sure that you specify the time zone mm -hmm. that you're in because they might have different hours. And if they are able to convert them easier knowing, you know, your base, I think that that's super helpful. And then I love what you said. And yes, I think that everybody should be taking notes. It's always important. Whenever you are talking to leadership, to mentors, to anybody, have mm -hmm. a very specific ask of what you want. Because mm -hmm. the reality is nowadays, especially, people are probably even busier being more remote than we were mm -hmm. before. All of the work that you're doing is coming through the same machine that you're getting all of your notifications from and emails and communications, et cetera. It is very important to be concise, explicit, and mm -hmm. just very to the point of, of what you're hoping to gain from that conversation. Um, so true. And then this is the last point I'll make. If you are going to send that message, I would say that you need to have a professional sounding voicemail if you are putting <laughs> your phone number on it for them to call you. Because yes. if they call you and you have some voice mail from high school or college that is like mm -hmm. very outdated, make sure that it's up to date. And it also says that you will get back within a certain amount of time. Right. Think, um, right. So and, and that goes for the applications too, because if you submitted your application and they call you and you can't answer for some reason, from a job search perspective, you, you want it to be professional. So that's like step number one, change your voicemail if it's not appropriate. <laughs> A hundred percent. Yeah. Um, and really quick, I just wanted to ask, are there any more advantageous times for applying for a job? Oh yeah. Like times of the year, you mean? Yes. Yes. Oh yeah. Seasons. That's a good question. Yeah. Seasons. I, you know, I definitely see fall from a, it will, it depends on industry too. Let me rephrase that from a, like consulting as an example, they are hot in the fall. Like it starts late August. It goes strong through September. We are, we're seeing offers by October. And that, that's typically what I see. But I don't necessarily... And, and then also I feel that sometimes in the middle of the summer is hard because people have made hires in throughout the school, quote unquote, school academic year. And so then they may have interns in during the summer and they're trying to figure out if they're going to convert any interns or what they're going to do. So they may not be as hard recruiting full-time folks in the middle of the summer, which is so frustrating because fall and spring is when school's happening and you're busy. So most students aren't thinking about it. However, that is when I find that companies are also thinking, who do we need to have on board for our projects or, you know, our big events coming on up, whatever it may be. So as much as you don't want to focus on your resume or your interview prep or, or connecting with people during the school year, I find that that's actually the best time to do it because that is when companies are looking for people. 
Yeah, I think that's a really important answer. And the reason that I asked is that the conversation that we're having on reaching out to your network, be thinking about the timeline mm -hmm. before those mm -hmm. big moments or those big plays come up from companies. So, you know, so being fall and spring recruiting are probably the most popular. Mm -hmm. Make sure that you're trying to have those conversations up front and before those times, if possible, or, you know, at least early within those stages so that you're catching all of this ahead of the curve. It's so true. And even with our boot camp, we talk to students all the time and they may be juniors in college and they're like, well, I'll get to it when I'm ready to apply. And I'm like, it's too late at that point. Like you yeah. have to <laughs> get, you have to start the connection, at least connections. Like even if you don't do our boot camp right away, that's okay. But you have to start thinking about it now. You can't wait until the final hour because that's when I get the really stressed out emails like, help me, I need a resume and I'm graduating in three weeks, you know? So don't, yeah. don't be that person. You can still email me, but don't be that person. <laughs> be proactive. 100%. Yeah. I think in life, it's just the better route to go as much as you can be proactive so about true. anything. So awesome. true. Well, okay. So we're at the point where, you know, we're having those conversations with our network. Are there any questions that you think are important to have in those conversations? Oh my gosh. Okay. I'm glad you asked that. It's not so much tools uh, or not so much specific questions necessarily, but what I would say is a lot of times I have to coach my students a little bit on, you're not going to this coffee to ask for a job. That's not the goal because it's, it's one of those things where we're kind of always thinking about ourselves and that's okay. We're going to use that to our benefit, but we need to remember that, that everyone's kind of thinking about what, what's in it for them. And so when you go to the coffee, I want you to focus on their favorite subject, which is themselves, right? So what do you do? Tell me about your story. How did you get to where you are now? How, tell me about what you did after college, right? How did you decide on this in, on this industry? You're really trying to tap into their brain space or they, their journey, their story, because when people get a chance to share about themselves, they all of a sudden like the person that they're talking to. There's so much science behind this and, and we probably all are nodding our head in agreement like, yep, I've been there or we've all been at a party where someone's talking to us and they're asking all these great things about us and we're just like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, sure, I'm, I'll answer it. And then they leave and you think, I love that person. They were so wonderful, right? But it's because they were talking about you, which is totally normal. And so my guidance is when you're prepping your questions, don't, don't make it about yourself and like, what should you be doing and how can I improve? Focus on them and it will naturally turn back to you. And one of my favorite kind of closing questions to ask is if you could do it again, right? If you could graduate um, from college again and start your first job, is there anything that you would have done differently? Because again, you're not saying what would, what should I do? But you're saying, what would you have done differently? And really, honestly, whatever they tell you, really soak it in. And however you can prove to them that you really heard them, that goes so much farther than you can even imagine. I tell my clients, if they tell you, oh, you should read this article, that's the first thing you need to do. Go back to your apartment or your dorm or whatever, read the article, email them and tell them how much you loved it, tell them what you learned from it, and prove to them that they did not waste their time sitting down to have a conversation with you, right? So 
that would be my biggest guidance more so than like specific questions, but it's focus all of your energy and your enthusiasm on them. And they will naturally want to ask more questions about you. Yeah. Just making it a learning experience. You're actually exchanging their time for some value that they're able to provide from what they've learned in their career and about the company that they work with as well. And I think that that's just, it's, it is really beneficial whenever you take a step back to actually listen, absorb, be that sponge, take it all in. That's really important because that's where you're really going to reap the most benefits and the most value. And I did have just one more question on this. I get this a lot from students that I talk with. Would you suggest asking for a referral if, if you felt comfortable or do you think that it's something that you should wait for them to, to offer? And then do you let them refer you first if they agree? Or do you apply and then have them refer you after? So oh, I'll pause. I know yeah. it's kind of a loaded question. <laughs> no, that's a great that's a great question. And and I've gotten this question as well from students, clients, you know, because I think you're right. I think it's it is more of an art than a science in many ways, right? Because it's humans hiring humans. So it should be more of an art than a science. But um, to, to answer the first part of the question, should you ask for a referral? Typically, I don't recommend using the language referral. And the main reason is because we all take our reputations extremely seriously. I know I do, and I don't just refer anyone, even like my clients, as an example, I have to really feel strongly that they would be a good fit for the company, a good fit for the role, because, you know, you're putting your name on the line. However, as a follow-up in the meeting, let's say you're meeting over coffee and to your point, you're hearing the, you know, your connection, talk all about their work. And maybe they even mention, oh yeah, we're hiring entry level for this, this, and that position. And you're really intrigued. And this is something you can absolutely see yourself wanting to do. My guidance is your closing statement or your, your closing question, if you will, is more so give again, we want to always give them options. I like to recommend giving two options at the end. You can say, one, one of two things you can say, thank you so much for your time. You know, you always want to thank them for their time. Thank you so much for your time. I love learning about XYZ company. I love learning about what you specifically do. And also I'm, I'm, I'm actually really intrigued by the role that you've mentioned or, or, or the fact that this company has open positions, as you've mentioned, um, I'm extremely interested in submitting my application. What would you recommend the best next step for me to be right? So you're kind of you're allowing them to either say, hey, I would love to refer you, or they they may say, yeah, go ahead and submit your application and I'll keep an eye out for it or something like that. And then you can always follow up on the back end. But another caveat is if they specifically say, hey, yeah, we're just, we're on a hiring freeze. We're not hiring anyone, but it's so great to meet you. You can say, thank, I totally understand. Thank you for taking time out of your day. You know, I, I just loved learning about what your company does as a, as a follow-up. Is you is there anyone else that you work with that you think would be a good fit for me to connect with next, right? So you're making another connection through your connection and you're continuing that 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 web, if you will, because the more people within a company that know, like, and trust you just from having coffee, they're gonna they're not gonna care about a hiring freeze anymore. They're gonna say, you know what? We don't care that we're not hiring anyone. We know Ellie. She's met with 16 of us, right? Kind of joking there, but like she needs to be, we need to keep her or else we're going to lose good talent, right? And so we, we need to let her in. 
That's a lot of times what happens, even when on the outside they're saying, oh, we have a hiring freeze. So getting to connect with more and more people, and that's such an easy thing for your connection to do. Oh, you should meet Joe. Joe works in marketing. He'd love to connect with you. Great. Okay. And then they can do that. And then you're just growing that web of connections within one singular company that you know you want to work for. Ellie, all of that was so good. I feel like... <laughs> It just, I mean, in terms of like mic drops, there was like four in there or something, but I mean, that was, that was great. I like how you did it. And it's not that direct and kind of icky feeling way right. You're doing it in more of like a, that strategic way that mm -hmm. allows them the opportunity if they feel comfortable. But also I think what you said of just making the connection to somebody else, and maybe it's somebody who's more um, mm -hmm. tailored to the field that you're looking about at applying to, I think mm -hmm. just in general, as many connections as it, you can make beyond that first one are important. Say you're yeah. speaking with somebody that you know personally within just your, your example, marketing, but yep. then you're looking to be within maybe finance field or mm -hmm. like you want to work in data or something, you know, different mm -hmm. than what that person does. Giving the opportunity to hear that soundbite from people who actually work in the department mm -hmm. where your aspirations are, I think are really important. So I love that. That's, that detail. that's such a good point. And I, I also want to call out, sometimes I talk with my clients and they say, well, my, my uncle works at Salesforce, but he's in, he's in accounting and I'm not, I'm not in accounting. Well, talk to your uncle and, and figure out of course what he does and get more information but then share with him, of course, if it's your uncle too, because, you know, family and say, I'm really interested in marketing or finance. And he may say, oh my gosh, my best friend works in marketing. Let me connect you with Sally, right? So then all of a sudden you have a connection to the marketing department. It's not a one size fit all. You would be amazed how, and you know this from your, from your work as well. It's amazing how those webs always, you know, overlap and, and intersect and people really genuinely do want to help out other people and especially young people. They really do. They want to see them succeed. So um, yeah, I, I would just want to take that and like use it to your advantage. If you know someone at a company that's interesting to you, even if they don't do the exact thing that you want to do. I think that sometimes half the battle is really just showing that you want to be there, that mm -hmm. you're driven, that you're motivated, that you're interested in their mission and their values and in moving the needle for what their work is, you know, mm -hmm. like if that's really where you want to be, get connected with people and put your name out there. They're like, oh yeah, I talked to this person. They would be an awesome asset to our team, to our company, to our mission, et cetera. Okay, yeah. cool. So we figured out, you know, we've narrowed down our lists of places to apply. One, one question really quick. And I think we kind of covered it earlier, but would you say that it's most advantageous in terms of submitting your application to be through the company portal or through, um, even maybe within networking with your people, yeah. sending your resume around, is that some way, I guess, kind of a backdoor? Well, I, and I didn't fully answer your, and your part B of that question. So I can kind of touch on both here. Basically sure. my recommendation is submit your resume anywhere that you can press that submit button. Once you've gotten the in, I say, submit it online, send it to your contact. If there's a place on LinkedIn for you to submit it, submit it there too, because it honestly, the more times that they see your name and your interest level per what you said earlier, Peyton, of like half the battle is finding someone that is wanting to be there, right? Like that enthusiasm, that's how you show your enthusiasm is by 
not giving up. Like I will, I'll do whatever you want me to do in terms of where you want me to put my resume. I don't care. Right. So, and I think it, it shows well on your potential referral when they can say, Hey, um, Ellie is interested in working here. Here's her resume. She also has submitted her resume online and then they can look you up in the system. And then you're already in the system as well. It just makes everyone's life easier. So tell your contact that, Oh yeah, I've already applied or I'll be applying for that today. You'll, but I'll also send it to you in your email. So you have it for your reference, whatever. But I always say the more places that you can submit it as possible, do don't feel that you're bombarding them. That's that's the reason for the the platforms and how they have it all set up. Yeah, that's the point. Don't mm-hmm. feel like you're being annoying. Like right. sometimes you have to be because right. people are busy and systems. Yep. There's literally so many YouTube videos on the fact that there is a machine that takes your resume first before it goes to a person. Right. So as many right. times as you can try to get it in the hands of a person to actually look at it and be like, <laughs> this is a candidate that I right. want to interview. And so I love right. that you said that. Um, okay. So kind of resetting the scene a little bit, you know, um, we've, we've now submitted our, our application, I guess, just in the meantime, there's kind of that little bit of a waiting period. Is there anything that you would say are good practices just to, um, keep sharp, I guess, in the meantime, while you're waiting for that interview to be scheduled? Oh, that's such a great question. You know, honestly, keep connecting with people, whether it's at that company or another company. I tell my clients that all the time. I don't really love the word networking. It So in fourth, we call it making friends. That's, that's how we, I require my students to reference <laughs> it as because that is the connotation. We are trying to meet someone, get to know them, right? And make friends and making friends can be hard and, and networking can also be hard. So it's in the same vein. So once you've submitted your resume, and even if you heard verbal confirmation of, yep, we're going to be bringing you in for an interview, great. You will absolutely be, be brought into that interview, but it doesn't hurt you to continue to look at that strategy list, see who else you maybe want to connect with. And, and if they work in that industry or at that company, amazing. But if not, that's okay. Continue to make your friends and, and build that list and, and feel good that you're getting those reps in as well. I think that's very important. Yeah, yeah, I think that that's great. Um, yeah. And I, now from from that, moving on, um, you've landed landed an interview and you have the time, the set, date, everything. Um, mm-hmm. In terms of prepping for the interview, I'd just like to first open it up of just initial thoughts on maybe some best practices or places to go try to practice and get ready yeah. for the interview. Yeah. Okay. So I love, I love this. And honestly, I, I'm like probably the most, I don't want to say anti-resume. That's not the right term, but I am the one career person that is not obsessed with the resume because I just don't feel that it's the best tool to communicate your value. I think it works. It checks the box, but the interview, the interview is where you can truly put your best foot forward. And I'm just going to caveat this with saying, I absolutely hate the phrase, just be yourself, because frankly, (laughs) it's not helpful, number one. And there are so many um, different, different types of who we are, right? We think, think about yourself when you go and visit your grandparents, you are 
one way. Like when I go visit my grandparents, I am Ellie from when I was growing up, right? I kind of revert back <laughs> to like, you know, being a kid and hanging out with my grandparents and going sledding down their hill. And that's, that's who I am when I'm with my grandparents. But when I'm with my college friends, right? I revert back to being Ellie in college because that's wonderful and that's beautiful. And that's how I made those friendships, right? Versus Ellie at work is different than those other two Ellie's, right? So I think that it's important to realize that an interview is a big deal and I want to prepare you for that. And, and you should be preparing for it, right? You shouldn't just walk in with your hair down being like, okay, I just have to be myself and it'll be all good, right? So I, I like yeah. to preface that, that it's not about not being who you are, but it's about preparing for this exciting, you know, sometimes stressful conversation. Um, but if what my biggest piece of advice when it comes to interviewing and when it comes to prepping, I think that if there are three kind of questions that if you can't answer yourself before the interview, then we really have no expectation for the interviewer to want to hire you, frankly. And the, and and we kind of umbrella them in, in the fourth world and we call it casting the vision, but it is three main things. Number one, who are you? So it's your elevator pitch. Um, it's it's standing out, it's being different, it's it's saying something that they're actually gonna remember when you leave and so they, they remember what you said about who you are and maybe what your background is, right? The second thing is, why do you want the job? It's plain and simple. If you cannot answer why you want the job and, and kind of within that, like why you would be a good fit for the job, then we have no expectation for the interviewer to know that, right? And then the third piece or the third question is, drawing connections to success, meaning why will there be success in the future if they hire you? And that really goes back to your stories and your experiences and being able to communicate that. But on the surface, if you can't look at yourself in the mirror and answer who you are, why you want the job and why there will be success in the future, then, then we need to start all over, then anything else can go out the window, right? Because those three things to me are the most foundational to articulate those three things. And so that's where I like people to start because half the time I meet with people for interviewing and I say, okay, I want you to give me three reasons why you want the job. And sometimes they can't even think of one, not one. And they may know in their head, but it's hard to put to words. And so I would, going back to our writing example, write it down or brainstorm it out. If you need to, you know, journal for a little bit to get your thoughts going, great. But I would get a minimum of three reasons why to start. I've just been writing some notes. I love that the foundation is those three questions. Like you said before, just tackling anything else before looking into any kind of other interview mm -hmm. prep or questions, et cetera. But visualizing yourself being there, I think could be helpful in trying to answer those questions. Mm -hmm. My mom always used to say, see the W like before it even happens, <laughs> yeah. like see the win. Yes. Yes. So if I am in this role, if I am actually working at this company, you know, what, what does that look like for me? How can I be an asset? How can I mm -hmm. provide value in a very tangible way? And what evidence do I have for my experience or mm -hmm. learning or just even drive to mm -hmm. make that a reality. Um, I have a and, I have a business coach friend who t told me about this um, kind of strategy or, or tool. I think maybe that she uses. She actually uses this with her kids, but she teaches it to her clients too. And she said, "Build your resiliency resume, meaning 
you need to make a, have a running list of all the things that you have quote unquote accomplished or overcome in your life to prove to yourself that you can now go and do something else. So to your point, visualizing the W, that's exactly what you need to be doing. You need to be visualizing all the things that you have overcome or you know challenges that you've made it through or really why you would be successful in this role and actually picture it in your mind. And that will come through in how you communicate in your interview. And then again, people say, it's not what you say, it's how you say it. But I actually think it's not what you say, it's what people hear. And so in order for them to hear what you want them to say, it has to come through through your voice, through your passion, to your point. Um, I love that. Visualize the W. I'm totally going to use that. But yeah, <laughs> resiliency resume, visualize the W, like be your own advocate and your own cheerleader in that and, and show up knowing that you would be a good fit for the role. I guess just as a next step. So we've got those three questions answered. Mm -hmm. I would say it's probably important to also practice other questions in your answers as well. Yes. Just I think like going online or looking up YouTube videos, YouTube has like a ton of yes. like videos out there on just the steps of an interview. Typically yes. like your first interview is going to be more of that gatekeeper background check. And then beyond mm -hmm. that, it'll get more into like the technical and soft skills that you're actually going to need. If you know, they're checking your behavior or if they're going right. to put you in front of a client, can you problem solve? And can you like handle this case that we give you kind of on the spot? And they're going to kind of test you a little bit, but yes. the first one, I think having that kind of screening, there's a lot of information out there and resources of typical questions, mm -hmm. you know, are going to come your way. So I think that having those those times to actually sit down and practice. I guess from that, do you have any kind of like specific practices that you think are helpful? Yeah. Well, I'm self or other people. Yeah. I'm glad you say YouTube. We actually have a YouTube channel as well. And we have a whole series of videos called how to answer. And then we have a number of videos that say how to answer this question. And then we, we walk you through our strategy of how you build your response based on who you are, of course. Um, like we have one, one of my favorite ones, if seriously, quick plug, if you are about, if you're prepping for an interview right now, we have a great one called how to answer the strengths and weaknesses question. And I, I just mm. think it's genius. I don't want to give it away here. Go listen to the video. <laughs> it's so, so good. I'll actually, I'll, Peyton, I'll get it to you, that specific video so that they can watch in the show notes. Um, but it's so good. But we have a ton of videos and I actually have alumni that have been through our program that will text me like years later being like, I'm prepping for my next interview and I'm, you know, I'm binging your YouTube videos, you know, because it's just easy to your point to have them kind of, especially when they're in like a playlist on YouTube, it'll just go from one to the next and you can kind of sit down and practice. Um, so yeah, that would be honestly, I know I'm plugging myself, but that would be a, no, quick, I'm glad you a are. quick piece of advice for sure. But I think you're right. I think just hearing yourself talk, pumping yourself up and also, this is my other piece of advice as it pertains to the interview, and this may seem really silly, but I swear by it. It's like such a fun hack. But if you, if you're prepping for your interview, if it's in person, do this practice in your car, in the parking lot before you go in. But if you, have you heard about this trick? I'm like hoping you're saying what I think you're going to say, because I'm okay. totally going to make a note on it. So I'm so glad okay. you're going down this route. Okay, go good, ahead. good. I hope I hope it's the same thing. If not, I want to hear your tip too. But if it's in person, sit in your car. If, if it's Zoom, um, just be wherever you need to be in your Zoom. Shut the door. No one else around. Put your notes away. Like shut the book. Don't look at your things. 
turn on your favorite song, like whatever it is, whatever gets your blood like bubbling almost <laughs> and sing or dance or jam. I mean, I blast music in my car when I'm going to, to a workshop or a work event or a presentation. And here's, here's the the magic in this. You will absolutely be anxious and excited going into an interview. And that's great. Anxiety is not all bad. We want a little bit of anxious energy before our interview. However, we want to tip the scales. We want the excitement to come up just a little bit and we want the anxiousness to come down. And the best way is to like physically release the anxiety, like moving our body, singing it out and kind of losing ourselves for a minute and like letting our hair down, if you will. And then collect yourself briefly and walk in or collect yourself and turn on your Zoom. But I swear to you, I get this again, I get this feedback from all my alumni. They love it. They still do it. They do it before work presentations. They go to their car. They do their pump up the jams. That's what we call it. And then they come back in their office and they do their presentation and they crush it. So highly recommend. Okay. I love that. And it actually, okay. It's not the same thing that I was going to say. Okay. I, I definitely am going to like make sure to try <laughs> even for like speeches and stuff. I want to try that for like a speech sometime whenever I'm giving a yep. talk and whatnot. You know, I just, I love that. What I do before I go into a speech or like some kind of big presentation, et cetera, is I, and I'll put the Ted talk like in the links too, but I'll put, yeah. I'll do the superwoman pose and mm -hmm. those power poses, there's actual like physical science behind what it actually does to your brain to boost kind of sounds funny, but your testosterone a little bit to like get yourself like revved up and ready to go so that totally. you're confident going into a situation like that. And I think for interviews, that's super powerful to just literally for like two minutes, just breathe, go do your dance in your car by yourself or you're singing by yourself and yeah. you'll be super ready to just go in, provide that energy that you want to, to tackle mm -hmm. it. This also reminds me just as the last, I don't know, maybe, maybe tip or practice for somebody else to do is, I don't know if you watch Ted Lasso, but the, oh, um, yeah. okay. So the <laughs> soccer club owner, Rebecca, mm -hmm. she does this thing where she gets huge and she kind of roars a little bit and she's mm -hmm. like, it's a little silly, but it works for me. Yeah. Find what works for you. That's Sometimes right. Find works. <laughs> Sometimes so you got to kind of have that little like burst of your own power and energy to That's make right. yourself feel, you know, that confidence that you need to go head on to this thing that is scary. That is, you right. know, anxiety prone and whatnot to actually overcome that and do it and do that's right. So that's I right. That's I love that. And I love Ted Lasso. I was just saying, I'm so ready for season three. So I'm so glad you bring that up. <laughs> it's, it's time for sure. Yes. <laughs> well, now it's getting close to game time. Are there any tips and tricks that you think are helpful to calm your nerves um, or to prep for the the day of, well, the night before and the day of? Yeah, that's such a good, that's such a good question because I do think the night before, I don't know. I think everyone's probably different. Some people may feel really nervous the night before and then maybe they wake up the next morning and they're like, you know what? I'm ready. Let's do this. And, and I'm kind of actually vice versa. I feel fine the night before, but then that morning I kind of feel jittery. And that's why I've really honed into that pump up the jams mentality, because I just feel that that's when I need it the most, if that makes sense. So for you, if you know that you get nervous, maybe the night before, I would say to just plan on like that night before doing something that 
really can calm you down personally. Like you may know what that is. For me, it would probably be just like spending time with my husband, turning on a good show, having a good home cooked dinner. Like that's that's my happy place personally. Um, I know it's not too exciting, but that that just is for me. And so I know that that's kind of kind of ground me a little bit. Um, and and what I might do is if I'm watching a show, I may just have my notes open. And as I mentioned building out those three questions, right? Who you are, why you want the job and drawing connections. Once you have your quote unquote notes, even just reading through those. And I would also recommend, by the way, bringing those with you in your portfolio. It's kind of a, it's a mind trick, really. You're never going to read them, but bringing them with you makes you feel, it's like a safety blanket. It makes you feel like you have it as backup if you need it. And a lot of times, You'll never even look at them and you'll probably forget they're even in your bag. But I would say pack your stuff the night before, pick out your outfit the night before. That also, again, back to picturing the W, that's going to help you once you know what you're going to wear. And also, speaking of where, what to wear for a second, I am like a huge proponent in almost like creating your power suit, if that makes sense. It doesn't have to be a suit suit, like it doesn't have to be, you know, suit and tie and all that stuff, but it needs to be professional. A super <laughs> Your super suit, exactly. And so like, what makes you feel like Oprah Winfrey on stage? That's what I tell my students. Like, what makes you feel like when you put it on, if Oprah called you up onto the stage to give a speech to the audience, you would feel confident enough to do it just based on what you're wearing. Like for me, I love a black on black. I, I love wearing black in general, but I'm like, I feel my strongest when I'm like black top or black jacket with black pants, a nude pump, like that. that's my power suit. And it could be any variation of the above. Some people love a certain pattern. Maybe it's like, you know, stripes, maybe it's polka dots, maybe it's gingham. I don't know what it is for you, but <laughs> pick your suit and feel really good about it that, okay, I'm wearing this tomorrow. I know what I'm gonna wear. And same for men, same thing goes for you if you have a lucky pair of socks that you wanna wear, that's great too. <laughs> so whatever feels good for you, have that prepped in advance. I think that helps a lot doing that the night before. And then in the morning, I'm gonna sound like your mother when I say this, but I'm, I'm so serious. Eat a good breakfast. Like, you have to, because you're going to be nervous and you may not feel like eating. And I was that kid that when I woke up nervous, I did not want to eat breakfast, but my mom always forced it on me. And I was so glad. Think about when you would take the ACT as an example, it's the same thing. You want your brain functioning on all cylinders. So eat a good breakfast, drink a ton of water with your coffee. You just want to show up your best self, like the best version of you, whatever that looks like. So don't cut corners, put a snack in your bag. I'm a, I'm a big snack girl, put a snack in your bag if you need it. If you feel like, okay, I may need an extra boost of energy. Great. So those are like my tactical pieces of advice. I think by the time you get to kind of like a test, by the time you get to the night before the morning of, like you've done your homework and honestly, it's, you'll show up better just showing up and being relaxed than like trying to cram the night before, even if you haven't had that much time to prepare. So that would be my guidance for night of and morning, night before yeah. morning of, yeah. Just having the plan ahead of time to where mm -hmm. you're just kind of going through the motions and you're able to let yourself get in the right mindset while, mm -hmm. while you're, you're getting ready in the morning. I would also say limit your phone access, mm. like social media, limit those distractions, actually get yourself in a good mindset before you're going into this. It's important. It's one of the days that matter in your life. So essentially make sure that you have just 
your whole plan set up the night before your clothes laid out, you know, just all of your, all of your materials printed. If you're going into the office or your route planned, if you are going into an office or making sure that you're there early, I would say if you're there on time, you're late. So make sure that you're early getting there. And then also if you're a meeting online where you're, you're in your home, make sure that you're online before you've tested the equipment, you're all set up. Yeah. Um, and I would also say from an online perspective, check equipment, also check lighting, check your background. Sometimes you don't realize what people can see behind you. And I think that that's that can be so distracting. Even when I work with students and I'm doing Zoom calls with them, I'm like seeing a pile of dirty clothes in the corner and I'm not snooping. I'm not trying to look. I just see it in the back corner and it's like, I can't not look at it. And that is not what you want to be your first impression, right? We all talk about first impressions. We still have those first impressions, even on Zoom, probably even more so. So I, I thank you for calling out the Zoom element for sure. If you have minimal distractions behind you, it actually allows for that engagement between mm -hmm. you and the other person on the other line to be mm -hmm. just fully there, fully present and not, you know, all the focus is on you in that conversation rather than right. being on something happening in the background. Okay. Now in the interview, is there anything that you would think is important in terms of body language mm -hmm. or verbiage not to say in an interview? Yeah, absolutely. Two things I'm going to touch on here. Number one, from a body language perspective, we, you touched on it very briefly, I think when we talked about informational interviewing, but it is you would be surprised how powerful it is when you come in to an interview with a pad of paper and a pen ready to take notes. We think about interviews as like, oh, they're asking us all the questions. It's all about us. But like I mentioned earlier, everyone is thinking about what's in it for them. And so you want to be thinking about what questions can I ask them? What information can I gain from them, you know, during the interview? Because you're still figuring out if if it's a good fit, right, for you too. So it goes so far to, as they're talking, you can even say, is it okay if I take some notes during our interview? I'm sure they'll say yes. Have that piece of paper and the pen out as they mention things that are interesting to you, write them down. That will also tr help trigger questions for you to ask. That's a big one that I get is like, what? Qu how do I prepare questions in advance? It's important to prepare questions in advance, but it's more powerful to ask them as they come up during the interview. So as an example, let's say they're telling you, oh, and in this role, you would be working on a team of seven. Okay, so maybe you wanna write that down. I'd be working on a team of seven. Maybe a good follow-up question is, hey, so I know you've mentioned here that I'd be working on a team of seven. Do you mind running through what that, what that dynamic looks like? Would it be me with other managers? Would it be a bunch of peers? You know, will there be interns on the group if you wanna help me understand what that team dynamic will look like? That's proving to them that you're listening, you're intaking what they're saying, you're writing notes, you have follow-up questions, and you're genuinely wanting to know, will I be a good fit here? Will I enjoy this work? That's what they're looking for, right? So I think a pad of paper and a pen, I used to have an executive I worked for, and he said, if I call you into a meeting and you come and you don't bring a pen and paper, you can just leave. Because anything I say, you're not gonna remember anyway. So whether it's like your computer or a pen and paper, you have to be receiving and taking notes. So that would be like a body language thing. Be that's like, that's like a fun little tip and trick, gold star moment. And then in terms of things not to say or language to avoid, one, I, I'm such a stickler. And again, I sound kind of like a mom when I talk about this, but 
um, whenever people get the question of like, why are you leaving your previous role? Or why are you looking? It is of no value to you as an interviewee to talk negatively at all about your previous company. And I, I always say, leave drama at the door. They don't care. They don't care about your cruddy previous boss. Even if they were literally the worst, you may be like, Ellie, you don't know who my old boss was though. You're right. I don't <laughs> know who your old boss was. And I, frankly, I don't care. And I'm trying to yeah. hire you to see if you're a good fit. So leave the drama at the door. Everything is positive and focus more on, be, tell the facts, tell the truth. You know, I'm leaving, I'm looking to leave this role because it wasn't a good fit or, you know, I'm um, looking for a different type of work or I'm, there wasn't a growth opportunity, whatever it was, you just, just say it and, but focus most of your energy on why you're excited for what this new opportunity could be, right? Like there wasn't a great growth opportunity at my previous company. And I realized that I didn't want to stay in the industry, but I, I was interested in more growth, which is really why I'm so excited to be here today to interview with you, right? And then list the reasons why you're so excited for the potential of what's next, right? So again, I'm gonna say it for the third time, leave the drama at the door. Do not be negative because no one wants to work with people that are negative period. Don't, yeah, don't waste their time with things that are just going to be a turnoff to them. I think that also goes for just like irrelevant info. Like the interviewer is not your friend. Do not act casual. If you even had a crazy morning, like getting there or anything, none of that happened. You, you walked in, you have X amount of minutes to mm -hmm. like really impress them with who you are, why you want right. to be there, what value you can provide. And that is your focus. Right. And that's where all of that prep that you did the night before in the morning of comes into play because your mindset is ready to, to really dive into the interview for what it's supposed to be about. Yep. So that's I think that's so, so good. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you. Thank you, Ellie, for that. And then if you freeze in an interview, do you have any thoughts on just best practices for, say they ask you a question and you freeze, are there any kind yeah. of thoughts on ways to, I don't know, help get around that? Yeah, absolutely. I think that's, you know, that's such a good question. And I, it's funny because I don't get it that often, but I, I'm sure it happens all the time. I'm even thinking about myself in interviews, you know, freezing. Honestly, I mentioned to you the bringing a pad of paper and taking notes, but within that kind of portfolio, if you will, always bring a cheat sheet. I kind of water down what I've kind of explained to you with the who you are, why you want the job and drawing connections and take all of your quote unquote research and your brainstorming and your stories and your experiences and make a little like one pager that you just feel like is like your cheat sheet, like you may have made in school or something before your test and have it really close by. Like it doesn't have to be out necessarily, but have it really close by because ultimately if you freeze, what should kind of snap you out of your freeze is a quick glance. If it is indeed a cheat sheet, right? Where you've kind of got some things listed of things that you really want to touch on. And also the easiest way too is if you really do freeze and, and you can't kind of quickly, if you will, get out of it, always feel free to ask a follow-up question to gain more clarity because sometimes yeah. we freeze because maybe we're stumped by the question or we think they're asking something that they're really not. And so it's more beneficial to just say, you know what, that's a really great question. Do you mind clarifying when you say blank? Do, yeah. Can you just explain a little bit more of what you mean by that? 
they're not expecting you to understand everything. They, they really are not. And so even if you're like, oh, is that a dumb question? No, ask them the question and they can rephrase it for you. Or maybe they use an acronym. Let me tell you, fun fact, the best thing to do is ask them to tell you what that acronym is. Because honestly, most people don't even know what the acronym actually is, but they can maybe explain to you what it means. And they're going to be impressed that you're listening enough and not trying to BS them. So you can just say like, oh, I, I just want further clarification. So it's always helpful to ask a question in reply. So you could say, or have your cheat seat. Those are my two biggest things. But honestly, we all think sometimes about interviewing as like interviewing of like a pageant where they ask you a question on stage and you have to answer it right away. You really don't. That to me, that's the one instance of like, again, humans hiring humans, be human in that moment. They will appreciate it and, and ask for clarity or ask for a minute or ask if you can pull out your resume um, to, to, to remind you of something. I don't know, whatever it is, but they're going to, they're going to respect you for being honest versus you trying to just glaze over the question. Yeah, absolutely. And repeating the question is perfectly fine too. Asking them to repeat it, or like you said, taking a minute to say, oh, let me think about that. Buy yourself a little bit of time, I think is good. And then also if you answer a question, but maybe you're like, oh, wait, I didn't, I didn't answer that right. Saying, did that answer your question? I think is good to help just make sure that if you do feel like you're getting a little bit off track, you're kind of steering it back and you're making sure did, did I answer what you were looking for? That's so, so good. And that's one of the things we teach in our program is how to, because I'm an oversharer for sure. And that was one of my biggest struggles with interviews. And a lot of people tell me that they're like, it's not that I'm afraid what to say. I'm afraid I'm going to say too much or I'm going to ramble, right? I'm sure a lot of people listening to this can uh, resonate with that feeling. Yeah. We teach some really, really helpful tactics to just get your point across and then be quiet. And that yeah. is half of the battle. So yeah, it's it's tough to do for sure. And I think this comes back to your prep is not memorizing your questions mm -hmm. and answers, but just making sure that you're able to practice being concise in, in making sure that it's worth their time. And are there any other tips or tricks that you wanted, you would want to highlight, I guess, for the listeners here on whenever you are in the interview, either around answering questions, your skills, um, talking about salary expectations, or yeah. I guess even like closing an interview in the follow-up. Mm. I know that was a long list of things, but we yeah. can kind of go through them one by one if you wanted. Yeah. Oh my gosh. It's, I could, we could talk for three hours about this probably. <laughs> um, I love interviewing so much and I love talking about it because some people don't want to share or, you know, you don't know what goes on behind that closed door or whatever. So I love talking about it. Um, so one thing you said was salary. Again, I'm pretty old school. You guys are going to learn that very quickly if you haven't already, but I, my guidance is do not bring up salary unless they are bringing up salary until they, because here's the goal, right? It's, it's a sales decision. We want them to love you so much that they cannot picture anyone else in this position but you. And then they tell you how much they're willing to offer. And then when you counter or you or maybe it, you know, doesn't fit in your ideal range for whatever reason, and you counter, you want them going to bat for you. 
you want them going to their boss saying, no, I know this is more than we had allotted for, but we need this person based on everything that we've learned about them, right? And the only way to do that is to get through enough of the interviews and enough meeting enough people that they see your value clearly, and then they're willing to go to bat for you. They're not going to go to bat for you before they even really get to know you. So don't bring up salary until they are bringing it up. And then if they bring up salary and it, they can't budge and it doesn't meet your qualifications, then you say, thank you, but, you know, thank you for your time, but I can't, you know, that sort of thing. Um, the other thing I want to say about salary when we talk about salary negotiations is, again, like I said, leaving drama at the door, it's not an emotional conversation. Yeah. If you really feel that it is lower than your expectation based on data, based on industry, role, city you're living in, all of the above, then simply present the facts and let the chips fall where they may. It is not a, I deserve or I should. No, it's, this is what the role pays. I'm meeting these qualifications based on research and data. This is where it's falling at. Would you be comfortable at X, right? That is so appropriate. And yeah. my husband is in um, medical sales and he hires people all the time. And my mom is a recruiter for a law firm. She hires people all the time. So we talk hiring all the time in our household. But one of the things that both my mom and my husband say is like, there is no shame in proving your value first, like accepting the job, even if it's lower than you thought it would be going above and beyond and then advocating for yourself on the back end and proving with data these are all the things that I have done above and beyond. This is how much you're paying me. This is what the industry says. This is the raise or this is the promotion that I'm asking for. And then I guarantee you, they are way more willing to bend over backwards when they already have you on their team and they see the proof is in the pudding of what you're able to do. So I know that's not the answer that everyone wants to hear, but I promise you, it's, it's like I always tell my students, I'm like, picture yourself in a Target in the, clothes, in the clothing section. You're trying to make a decision on a top that's $30. And you're going, should I get it? Should I not get it? I don't know. I have something like this in my closet. I don't, I'm not 100% sure. It's $30 and you're going back and forth if you want it. These people are making a purchase decision, unfortunately, on you, right? Yeah. So you have to keep that in your mind because again, it, the, it's money coming out of someone's pocket. It may not be the person you're interviewing with, but it's someone's money. And so when we can think about that, that's all, all that's going to do is help us to communicate our value even more. So we can be like, no, I, I know you're making a hiring decision, but here's the value that I'm going to bring to you, right? Just like that top for $30, right? What's the value that you're going to bring to someone's business and to someone's life? And when you can really tap into that, it's, it's easy breezy. It really yeah. is. So that would be my guidance on like the salary conversation. I'm a, again, I'm a little bit old school, but that's my, that's my uh, opinion, I guess. Um, and from being in the working world versus coming from academia, I guess that's kind of one of the big different differentiators I feel like I bring. I love how you said that it's more of like a third date conversation, I guess, to put it in layman's terms. <laughs> Um, it's not really something that you want to bring up up front. So I think that that's really important. And if they are asking you up front, then maybe just put up a little bit to make sure that you have some answers in the find that range, doing your homework, um, and seeing what your credentials actually would amount to within that space. But like you said, you know, they don't know you from Adam. So 
really you have to prove yourself. And I think that's what's really important nowadays is even though I guess like in the world we live in right now, like life, the economy, everything's expensive. You're going to have to pay your dues a little bit because if you are starting somewhere, like you need to make sure that you're putting your best foot forward to say, I can do these things and I do deserve that higher bump whenever the time comes. And you would be surprised how willing companies are giving those promotions. And my mom says this in the hiring world, when someone comes in and they prove value tenfold, it is the easiest conversation in the book to give them a raise. It is such a, a more difficult conversation that like my mom, as an example, has to have with partners at a firm to say, well, this person hasn't accepted, but they want more money. And the partners are like, well, what? Like, you know, who is that person? We don't know who that person even is, right? Yeah. I think that's great. And especially if you are a student who doesn't have that job experience yet, you know, don't be offended by this. If you haven't gone into a company and actually what I mean whenever I say move the needle for them is like, how much money are you making them? How much are you actually providing intangible value that's going to grow the company in a positive way? What are you doing in your day-to-day job to make things more efficient by X percentage or better by X dollars, et cetera, had, you know, some nine to five experience. So I think that that's, that's really important just for, you know, people on their first job to know going into the market. Beyond that, I think you kind of have a little bit more wiggle room to negotiate because you do have a little bit more under your belt from actually working with, you know, um, a company, an employer previously and being able to, to negotiate and say from my credentials, my expertise, this is what's what I feel like is a fair compensation for my skill set. So yeah. And with the shirt example, I have examples where I've bought a shirt that I maybe didn't want to buy at that moment, but let's say I buy it and I wear it all the time and then something happens to it. It gets a stain on it and I want to buy it again. And now I can't get it. And I'm like, I would have paid three times what I paid for that shirt because I know now how much that I love it and how much I wear it. And how, like the, the cost per wear is like so minute, right? So that's a silly example, but it, it's the truth. It's like, once you try it on, right? Once you get into the company and you prove it, cause you know that you'll prove your value, then it's an easy conversation on the back end. So again, silly clothing example, but I, I think it really holds true. Ellie, I feel like I could literally like talk to you for like a whole other hour on this topic. It's so good. But just two last questions. One, um, do you have any helpful thoughts on, on ways to close up an interview and then follow up after an interview? Okay. This is good. I'm glad you asked that. So closing the first, first closing up the interview. Um, number one, I keep saying hi, uh, hi, humans hire humans. And one of the uh, analogies I've made in the past is it's like dating. And I made the 100 blind dates comment. So you guys can kind of see where I'm going. But the only differentiator is it's not like dating in the sense that we are not trying to play hard to get. And I would say in dating, we're not always trying to play hard to get either. So yeah. games I think, are silly. Yeah, games <laughs> are silly. Exactly. In dating or in hiring, we are not playing hard to get. People want to hire people that really want to be there. 
I have interviewed people before and I've actually had to ask them like, so I'm sorry to ask this, this may be weird, but do you really, do you want to work here? Because I, I couldn't tell like they're, maybe they were super nervous and, and, and I get that too, but their enthusiasm just wasn't there. They weren't saying anything like, oh, I would really love, I would love it to work here or I can really see myself here. So what I want to say is when you're closing it up, do not be afraid to re-emphasize your enthusiasm, your excitement for the role, your passion for the industry, your, you know, your excitement and, and, and relief from meeting these wonderful people and, and how you can see yourself there. Whatever it is you want to say, you're not playing hard to get. So make them know that you really want to work there. But then also, I always like to think sometimes about the interview as like a school paper. When we th thought about writing an essay, it was like you introduced it, you gave your three points, and then you closed it. And a lot of times you would recap like your three points. Think about your interview kind of like that. If you kind of go back to that foundation that I mentioned earlier of like who you are, why you want the job, and the drawing connections to success, recap some of those reasons and reiterate them, even though you've already said them before. So thank you so much for, for your time. I, you know, again, I just want to reiterate my excitement for this opportunity and the potential to work here. And as I mentioned earlier, my, my excitement for client facing work, my passion for innovative technologies, and honestly, my experience working in this industry are all reasons why I feel like I'm so grateful to be here and excited to kind of see where this path goes, right? So I've, I've, I've bookended, I've capped everything and I'm repeating, right? So that they remember all the things that I've already mentioned, but I'm kind of condensing it into this little blurb at the end. So you'll be able to craft that blurb once you create those three buckets that, that I mentioned at the beginning. And then once you have those kind of um, like stained in your mind, that's a beautiful way to close it. And then again, and then you just think, thank you again. Thanks for your time today. And then you can leave. And then in terms of following up, my biggest piece of advice is contact every single person you met with. And if you don't have every single person's email, either ask someone that you do have their email. Hey, can I have such and such as email? I'd love to send them a thank you. Um, or if everyone's email is first name dot last name at company name, I'm sure that's what the person's email is, right? So email every single person individually. Thank you for your time. I really enjoyed meeting you. And bonus, if you can add in something that's specific to what you talked about. So as an example, if you met with someone, let's say you met with Joe and maybe it's a Friday and they're like, oh yeah, I'm going to my kid's soccer game tomorrow. It's his first soccer game. You may want to put in there like, have fun at your son's soccer game tomorrow. I know that's an exciting yeah. event. It was so great to meet you. Can't wait to hear about next steps. Like, have a great weekend. Bye. So, again, it seems silly, but it's we, people want to be heard, seen, loved, all those things. And when someone feels that you really paid attention to them, even a little detail, that goes so much farther than you can even imagine. So, yeah. Because, yeah. like you said, people hire people. That's right. That. It all comes back to humans by hire humans. Absolutely. Yes. Yes. I love <laughs> that. Okay. Yeah. Well, Ellie, thank you so much for just all the gold nuggets that you have just provided today. It's been just like, so I feel like I could literally just like keep talking to you about like so many other subjects on this, <laughs> same, but same. we need to wrap it up at some point. So yeah. with that, I just have one last um, question for you. And then I would love for you to also give where the audience can find you in your courses and resources as well. But I ask all my guests this is 
from growing up in your transition to adulthood, is there any kind of just last thoughts or advice that you would want to pass to the next generation? It's, it's a loaded question, but if there's anything that comes to mind that you think is just one little lesson that's been significant for you. I think, um, you know, one lesson that I'm currently still learning, I would say, is don't glamorize the hustle. Hustle is incredibly overrated. And when I say hustle, I mean hustle for the sake of hustling, hustling to show that you're hustling. Um, I don't mean hard work. I don't mean grit by any stretch of the imagination. I mean, just this, this unwillingness to slow down and, you know, enjoy the present moment. I think, unfortunately, growing up, our culture, our generation has just been on a fast track, like the fastest train you can possibly imagine. And, and a lot of times that's praised in academia because you get good grades and you're going fast and you're going places and that's awesome. But what you realize is you, you can only go so fast for so long until you have to stop. So it's better to stop yourself than to hit the wall. Right. So I think yeah. for me, I just learned that there's so much beauty in slowing down and not to glamorize this idea of being busy, if you will. And I'm, I'm really working on that. When people ask me how I'm doing, I'm really trying to not say busy because that is not helpful at all. And so anyway, if, if I could give any, you know, young adult or aspiring adult or recently graduated college student, whoever it is, any advice, it's take a look at your life and, and see, am I kind of high off of this idea of going fast all the time and how much do I actually slow down even personally just to take a minute to do nothing it, that that's really like what I'm learning to do now in my life at 30 so <laughs> it's a hard thing I think I have to schedule time to do nothing I'm just one of those people who are like I'm better busy like I say that and it's I mean, truth be told, I've burned out before on that, you know, and I think that it's important for you to consider rest and actually take just schedule things every single day, little pieces of things. This is a new practice that I've kind of developed over the last few years too, but I learned it. I wish I would have learned it sooner was making a couple non-negotiables for yourself that set you up right for the day, whether that be in the morning or if it's a bedtime routine or something like that, make sure that, like you said, you're not hustling just to hustle. There's a purpose behind it. And sometimes there are seasons where it's like, okay, you kind of got to hit the ground running, but there's also, there needs to be that season that complements it where you do rest and recover. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, I know. I, I, I've said it too. I'm better busy and I am, I am because I can distract from all the things, but um, you're right. Scheduling those little moments, pockets of joy, just to be is hard to do honestly, but it's so, it's so good for the soul. So that would be my, yeah. my piece of advice. For sure. Awesome. Okay. Well, Ellie, thank you so much just for everything today. Where can the audience find you if they want to learn more? Yes. Well, everything should be linked in the show notes. So I don't want to bore too many of you, but if you want like the really good resources that are for free, you can come to our Instagram. It's at fourth, like go forth, F-O-R-T-H underscore career underscore strategy. Again, that'll be linked below as well. Um, and then you can also access all of our like 
We have a free email cheat sheet. We have all the YouTube videos. We have a podcast. We have all the things, but really that Instagram is the hub. Um, and I would love to say hello to you. And whenever I do a podcast as a guest, if you come over and follow, please send me a message and just say, Hey, I heard you on the AQ podcast, or, you know, I heard you um, chatting with Peyton. Please come send me a message that I can just welcome you and say hello. That is like my favorite thing to do. So that's where you can find me best. Y'all go follow her. She's awesome. If you can only imagine how much value she packed into today's show, she's got all of that and more on her platform. So go look her up. Well, thank you again. Really, really appreciate it. Thank you, Peyton. Thank you for listening to the AQ podcast by Evolve. If you love the value in our show, we'd greatly appreciate it if you would take a minute today to rate, review, subscribe, and share with your friends so that we can continue getting our message to others and featuring incredible experts with content to help you evolve. Our team works hard so that with every episode, you walk away with real lessons to enable you for your most purpose-driven life. To learn more about the show, find more resources, or get involved with Evolve's growing community visit www.evolve.me. That's A-V-O-L-V dot M-E. Thanks for tuning in today. See you next time on the AQ.